Remember, freedom is a gift from God. Choose to accept it, guard it, nourish it, share it with your loved ones. Don't let anyone take it from you. Choose to be free. Learn how to choose freedom with your host, Dr. Baruch Platner. Welcome to the show, my friends. Today, uh, this episode is our 30th episode, so it's a, a bit of an anniversary. Um, and um, I'm so happy that uh, you guys uh, tune in and um, listen to my ramblings. Uh, it has certainly been a, a very interesting um, more than half a year now in which uh, to talk to you about um, lots of things. It's a highly unusual year. I'm almost 58 years old. I've never experienced anything like it in my life. And I think that there are people who are older than that and haven't experienced anything similar either. So it's certainly been a privilege to uh, be able to talk to you and to share some of my insights such as they are. And one of those insights that I want to talk to you about today has to do with the perception that I think many folks have in America that um, people, uh, generally speaking, desire freedom. And there is a, a kind of a secondary perception that is often attached to that and stipulates that freedom has some to, something to do with voting and with so-called democracy. And uh, what I would like to do in this show is to debunk both of these notions. In other words, I want to tell you straight up that freedom is not the default choice for, hu for humans and that freedom has nothing to do with the ability to vote for your representative in government or, or uh, you know, with living in a so-called democracy or republic or some sort of a political structure that has a so-called representative government. Um, I would say that, uh, on the contrary, freedom is something that is, or the desire for freedom, is something that is quite unusual in most human beings and has to be, it's a, it has to be inculcated, it has to be taught. It's not something that's inherent in us, um, no matter what the majority of Americans and perhaps the majority of my listeners uh, may think. And the Torah, um, <clears throat> the book of Genesis, gives us uh, interesting insight into that uh, question uh, in the story of Exodus, in the story of the Israelite Exodus from Egypt, from slavery uh, to freedom. Now, you know, every startup or every large company even uh, has its own kind of foundation myth. You know, people say, you know, you go to some large company and uh, there's some maybe scribbles on the wall. I was in a major manufacturing company in Germany and they had like a little hand cart, you know, wheelbarrow in a, per, in a kind of a glass cage in the middle of their huge atrium. And there's always some story associated with that about how the founder, you know, was looking through rubble or was uh, developing software in, in, you know, his parents' basement or whatever it is. There's always a foundational myth. 
And these myths are usually, um, you know, they have some uh, kernel of truth in them, but they're usually quite, um, how should I say, embellished with time. And they, rep- but they're very important because they represent kind of the ideological DNA of that of that business, right? There, there, there is a, there's a reason why every new employee is told that myth and retold it, and there is a reason that these myths involve or rather evolve in a certain direction. Uh, the direction being the kind of what the image the company wants to present of itself. And the foundational myth of the Jewish people is the exodus from Egypt. And it has, it shares all these characteristics of the, the, these, these foundational myths for various startups. In fact, it may be the oldest recorded such myth. Now, what do we know from the story of Exodus? There's a lot of uh, pyrotechnics there. You know, there's um, the ten plagues of Egypt and the frogs and locusts and uh, angels of death and all of that kind of stuff. But that to me is much less important than the underlying human aspect of that story, which is that the Israelites had no desire to leave slavery and to go and to become free. They had actually zero desire. They were reluctant and actually opposed to that idea. And they had to be dragged (laughs) into freedom by an unlikely and himself ambivalent and reluctant leader, Moses. Um, And even though the Egyptians, according to the story in the Torah, uh, made the Israelites' lives very difficult they, to the point where they, uh, to, where they slaughtered or told them to, 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 to kill substantially every male newborn and so on. Even then, even with that in mind, the Israelites did not wish to go free. But once they were finally dragged out of Egypt almost by the sheer force of Moses' will, they quetched and complained and whined incessantly from the first moment they set foot outside of the borders of the Nile Delta and into the Sinai Desert. And this incessant uh, quetching, complaining, whining, infighting brought them finally to the borders of the Promised Land Uh, upon which uh, occasion Moses sent a few intelligence officers headed by a guy by the name of Caleb, or I guess in Caleb, or I guess guess in in the English pronunciation would be Caleb, from the tribe of Judah, right? And they, these intelligence officers, they, these spies, they entered the land of Canaan and Canaan, um, as we would say, and then they kind of uh, looked around. And uh, when they returned, they reported that the land was as advertised by the Almighty. In other words, it was indeed overflowing with milk and honey and pomegranates and wheat and barley and olives and all that good stuff. But unfortunately, uh, it was not at all uninhabited and waiting for the Israelites 
to take advantage of all that bounty, but rather, in fact, it was heavily occupied and uh, protected with large walled cities and even uh, kind of giants. But probably uh, the report, the word was probably misinterpreted, but um, what was true, and we know from archaeological data, was that Canaan, uh, Canaan had many fortified cities, which to a bunch of rabble such as the Israelites were, who had uh, a lot of women and children and uh, stuff, but not so many warriors and certainly no siege engines and no experience in conducting siege warfare, those walled cities looked uh, quite daunting and hearing about that uh, must have been scary. So these, Ezra, the, these Israelites, when they heard that report, they basically said, you know what, that's okay, we'll, we'll pass. Let's go somewhere else, because this promised land sure sounds nice, but there's no way we're going to be besieging these uh, walled cities with their skilled and well-armed defenders. And so God had to drag their behinds around the desert, put them substantially, I'm a pilot, and what it, what this reminds me of is, you know, when, a, when an airplane is put into a holding pattern, and uh, that's what happened to the Israelites, they were put in, in, into a holding pattern for, you know, all of 40 years, in which this generation of slave mentality holders would die off, and the new generation, hardened by the conditions in the desert, would arise. A generation that forgot the so-called meat and onion pots of Egypt and uh, would have no experience with them at all and uh, would be hungry for the conquest of uh, Canaan, uh, regardless of how well it were defended. And so the rest, you know, is history. Canaan, Canaan was uh, step by step uh, overrun by the Israelites. And um, that's why we have people like me who call themselves Jewish. That story actually uh, repeated itself in the modern era with the um, story of Zionism, Tzionut, the national liberation movement of the Jewish people. Most Jewish people in the diaspora pre-Second World War had no desire to go to Israel. And um, Jews in the diaspora developed this uh, kind of slave mentality where they were highly reluctant to t take up arms. They thought that physical training, making yourself uh, physically fit, training in martial arts, being able to shoot uh, guns, was all uh, unsuitable for Jews. And some Jews in the diaspora, perhaps many Jews in the diaspora, still still hold these views, as well as some ultra-Orthodox communities. And so even though Theodore Herzl, who was the kind of the founding father of the Zionist movement, uh, predicted accurately that uh, the, the, the Jewish story in Eastern Europe would end in a total disaster, he predicted the Holocaust substantially, even then, 
Jews didn't really, uh, uh, the, the vast majority of Jews uh, chose not to go to um, what was then called Palestine and build uh, a new homeland for themselves, an old new homeland, as Herzl put it, um, because it was too hard. Just like at the time of Exodus, they said, yeah, that sounds good, and perhaps things here in Europe, like in Poland, Belarus, Lithuania, whatever, are not that great, but it's really hard to get to, 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 to go and fight with the Arabs there, and there's malaria, it's not easy, so we're not going to do it. And many of them, so most of them stayed, as a very small minority left for Israel or Palestine, and uh, some more uh, left for America and Canada. Why? Because it was easier. And, you know, a lot of Jews now in France, in Canada, in America complain about anti-Semitism, but they're still un uh, unwilling to go to Israel where, where there's, there is no anti-Semitism because it's a Jewish state. But it's also a state in which they have to make a new living and adjust, and it's not necessarily an easy place to live in. And they have to learn a new language, Hebrew, and so on. So my point of, uh, with all of this is that the Torah tells us, and, it, and the Torah is right in all things, including this one, uh, the Torah tells us that the natural condition of the human being is that of a slave. The natural condition of a human being is to be fed at the trough as long as the food is forthcoming and they would uh, and trading for it all their uh, freedom and liberty rights and by the way folks i'm going to say something now that you may not like so i don't know if you feel like changing the dials here is a trigger warning but what i want to say is that those americans now who are fighting to get this, this Trump bucks, whether it's 600 or, two, or 2,000, are exactly the same as that first generation of the Exodus. In other words, um, they are selling their liberty for a pittance, right? Because once you don't, don't tell me, you know, my Trump supporting friends that you love liberty and that you hate government, you, you know, you don't like this big, all-intrusive government when you're begging the government for a bag of 600 or $2,000. Don't tell me that because it's ridiculous. Now you're going to tell me, but the virus, but, 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 but. But I'm going to tell you, though, is that the unemployment rate in America right now is only 6.7% COVID or no COVID, and that's historically low. The unemployment rate in America before COVID was about 3%, which is crazy low. So only about 3.7% of Americans and those Americans who actually are of working age, only about 3.7% of them were affected by COVID, right? Based on these numbers. The vast majority of Americans, including Trump supporters who, who pretend, pretend, to dislike government and to like limited government and so on, while at the same time begging for the government to give them a handout, well, the vast majority, the vast majority of these people have suffered no 
ill consequences from COVID and as far as their employment or financial situation is concerned. These are people who work for the government or they work for businesses that never stopped working. That's, that's the vast majority. And they're going to, you, my friends, are going to take these $600, $2,000, whatever's going to end up in your bank account, and you're going to spend them. Many Americans will spend them on booze, on drugs, on power, st- sorry, playstations, games, toys, whatever. So you, my friends, if you're taking that money, and of course I take it too, I'm not saying, but don't tell me that you hate government by some time you're begging for the government to give you a handout. And don't tell me that it's because of the virus when the virus had no effect on your personal financial well-being. Okay, so I want to repeat again before uh, this segment is over. Most of us, most human beings, if not really all, are born with a slave mentality. And we have to fight. We have to consciously overcome it to choose to be free people. Even when that choice is difficult and that's and not especially, especially when that choice is difficult. It is when the choice of becoming free is difficult that we are put to the test and we either choose to be free or we choose to remain at the trough eating from our master's hands. Stay tuned for the next segment. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multi-nutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. Welcome back to the show, my friends. So as I've, as I've uh, discussed in the previous segment or showed in the previous segment, uh, human beings are born with, with a slave mentality. Nobody is born desiring to be free. Few of us overcome that slave mentality and make the hard choices that are needed to truly be free and to choose freedom. Very few. A small, small, tiny percentage. And in this segment, I started last segment by saying that I was going to debunk two commonly, uh, much too commonly held beliefs. One is that all human beings are born with a desire for freedom. That's a false belief. And the other belief is that freedom has something to do with voting or with living in a so-called democracy or republic or having a representational, representative government. That is also equally false. 
My friends, people who lived in America, for example, before 1776, were much freer than any of us can possibly imagine. Okay? They may have never voted in their lives, but they were skilled. You can see it in some of the last names. They were coopers, you know, they could make barrels. That's quite a skill. They were smiths. They could forge blades. Um, they were farriers. They could uh, shoe horses. They were uh, merciers. They could make uh, wool. <clears throat> they were fletchers. They could make arrows um, and so on. They knew how to make stuff, which, was, which is the, the one thing that truly gives you freedom. In today's world, it's mathematics. If you know STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics, that's what makes you free, okay? Uh, similar to how in that world, it was knowing how to shoe a horse or to make a pewter vessel like Paul Revere. Those people back then could say anything they wished. They could conduct their business in any way they wished. For example, they could employ somebody uh, an apprentice, let's say, just for the price of uh, a pile of hay to sleep on and a roof over his head and three meals a day. Try that today. It's not going to work, I don't think, right? So uh, the people back then, never having voted once in their lives, were far freer than anyone today, okay? The fact that you go and vote gives you absolutely no freedom whatsoever. In fact, it's a cop-out. Americans who wish to be free today, truly, should make the hard choice of leaving behind the overcrowded, overregulated cities, okay, and moving to places like Wyoming, Montana, Alaska, the Dakotas, in which, they, in which still you can be truly free, or at least more free. But people are not doing that. You know, there is some movement from California to Texas and so on, so there's a bit of that, maybe. But on mass, it's not happening. Why? Because people prefer the trough. <laughs> you know, people prefer their jobs, their incomes, their um, comfort level, their uh, uh, two-hour Amazon delivery, whatever. They prefer that to the hard work of getting skilled in something and moving to a place which is new and perhaps scary and so on. But that's how America was built. America was built by people who perhaps were in um, Pennsylvania or New York or Massachusetts, and those places were becoming overcrowded, overregulated. And then they just got up in wagons and, you know, they went west to Missouri and to all the way to Oregon and California. And we all know from watching all these Western movies that it must have been one hell of a dangerous and hard trek. And you could only make it out there if you were very skilled in self-defense and other things. And that was, was, that's what freedom is all about. You can still do it today in America. But most people are simply choosing not to because they're slaves. They have that slave mentality. And going to vote once every couple of years really has not do with it. And now with all this, uh, to use a kind of Hebrew slash Yiddish word, Mishigas, craziness that's going, it's going on around this 2020 election, you can see it even more clearly. 
So people voted. So what? They voted for Trump, but then other people decided that they didn't suit. It didn't suit them, so they put some other guy in Biden. But what I want to tell you is, who cares? Who cares? Neither Trump nor Biden are going to make you free, okay? Trump is not going to, to remain president. I said that uh, consistently since November 4th. I'm going to repeat it now. Trump is going to be out of the White House on January 20th. I'm not even convinced that he's going to come back to the White House having left it now for a Christmas vacation. But, so what? So what, my friends? You think that because Trump is in the White House it makes you free? No, 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 no. Only you can make yourself free. Trump cannot make you free. Okay? And Trump in the White House makes you no freer than Biden in the White House. If you think so, you are very much deluded. Right? Only you can make yourself free. The government is like um, a force of nature, usually a destructive one. Okay? That's, by the way, that is, by the way, the kind of the Chinese view of government. Not only... That's how people have viewed government, and rightly so, ever since civilization began. They viewed it as a force of nature, sometimes benevolent. You know, sometimes nature smiles on us and we have just the right amount of snow and rain and sunshine and crops are good. Well, that happens in governance too. Sometimes, you know, we have, we have wise presidents. I mean, in America, for example, a, a very underrated one is Eisenhower. I think he was by far the best American president in the 20th century. But then you have duds like, you know, most of them. Like JFK. Like, um, you know, uh, Wilson. Carter, Obama, the, the two Bushes, disaster. <laughs> so more often than not, you know, your government is a disaster. It's a hurricane. And the only question you have to ask yourself is like, how bad is it? I mean, are, are we talking about category five now or category one, right? But people who are smart and free, that's how they look at government. They look at it as a kind of necessary evil that sometimes is horrible, sometimes is eh, kind of bad, and very rarely is, is okay, just okay. Right? And what people do, just like how you prepare for a hurricane, you know, you, um, you, know, you, you, you buy some food, batteries, whatever, right? You maybe put away some more cash to buy things. Well, that's how people, smart people, look at government. I mean, Biden administration is going to come in now. You're going to see a $5 a gallon gas within the first three months. I think you should prepare for that. Right? Because there are going to be carbon taxes, everything. Right? So, I don't know, if you just bought a huge, you know, 5.7 liter Hemi V8 truck, There's still time for you maybe to trade it in for something a little bit more fuel efficient because if you're counting on gas being under $2 a gallon much longer, then, you know, you're deluded again. That's not going to happen. Okay. Uh, and 
who cares how Biden got in there? Who cares? He got in there. That's it. And he's going to do what he's going to do. It's as simple as that. If you have, uh, if you work in the oil and gas industry or in manufacturing, your jobs are at risk because Biden is going to decimate that sector. So maybe it's a good idea now to start thinking about, you know, maybe not making those, uh, you know, purchases that you wanted to make or offloading some debt. Because your jobs are not going to be secure if you work in that sector. And generally speaking, taxes on income and on consumption are going to go up. So your disposable income to service that debt that you may have taken out, credit cards, cars, mortgages, is going to be less. You have less money with which to service that debt. Less available income. So, <clears throat> a government is uh, like that, right? I mean, it's better to have it than to have anarchy and people just shooting each other, but it's not, it's never, it never works in your interests. Never. Okay, Trump or no Trump? And this reminds me of, uh, you know, a current talk. There's all this current talk about this appropriations bill in which uh, you know, 600 bucks uh, cash or whatever, and then there's a lot of money paid to other countries. And a lot of uh, Trump-supporting Americans, even including some smart ones to my, sh- to my chagrin, are saying, oh my God, this is horrible. How can we be giving these millions of dollars or hundreds of millions to this, that, the other thing, sending them abroad. But at the same time, these same Americans are hating on China. Oh my God, China is eating our lunch. China is winning. China is, uh, you know, taking over the South China Sea. China is muscling us out of these godforsaken African countries in which rare earth elements like cadmium are being mined and all our electric cars run off of these cadmium batteries, and so on. Well, my friends, if you are on one hand opposed to sending money abroad, and on the other hand you're bitching and complaining that China is winning, then you have a, a, a cognitive problem. Because how China is winning is by spending a lot of money abroad bribing various officials from Pakistan to Mozambique, Angola, Uganda, you name it, so that they can have concessions to mine cadmium there or to mine other things or to get timber, like in Canada, or uh, to get access to fresh water, you name it, right? That's what China's doing. It's spending, it's, it's not saying, hey, you know, we still have out of the 1.4, however many billion people that we have here, we still have, you know, 70% living in poverty, so we can't spend money abroad. Oh, no, no. It's saying we must spend money abroad so that we can become a world power, a true world power. We can dethrone America. And that's then we can start taking care of, of, of our poor people too. 
So those Americans who say, you know, oh my God, what is China doing? But they never want to send a dollar to Pakistan. So this $10 million to Pakistan's, you know, gender diversity, whatever, it's a bribe to some Pakistani government official, whatever. But that's how you do business in the world. If they don't get that bribe from America, they'll get it from China. And then they will be promoting Chinese interests in that very important strategically placed country and not American interests. That's how the world works. If America doesn't develop with Israel these missile defense systems like the Iron Dome, the Arrow, and so on, then Israel will develop it with India and with China. It's as simple as that. That's how the world works. And China will have the best missile defenses instead of America. And that's what's happened. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, do you want America to be strong? Do you want America to retain its uh, leading superpower uh, position in the world? Well, then you have to spend money, including bribing various officials in places like Pakistan and, you know, Mozambique and uh, Zambia and God knows where else. And including participating in major weaponry developments like with Israel. And that has nothing to do with giving Americans who absolutely don't need it $600 to buy another PlayStation, which they also don't need. So, you know, there is a loss of logic uh, in, in America and especially with the uh, pro-Trump crowd. It, it's, it hurts me to say it, but it's true. But it's true. People have kind of lost their marbles. And by the way, when you lose your marbles, you give up your freedom. Nobody can be free who is not thinking clearly. Nobody can be free who is uninformed. Nobody can be free who, who subjects himself to propaganda by various shysters and mountebanks banks like Sidney Powell or Rudy Giuliani and the later manifestations of Trump now. Think for yourself. And, you know, I, I'm going to devote the next segment of the show, the, the, the final segment, to the question of China because... It's becoming quite a painful one for in America right now, especially again for Trump supporters whom I love. And uh, you know, and I was one. I'm not sure that I still am with how things are going. But um, this whole China thing, this anti-Chinese hysteria is wrong okay china is a big country <clears throat> the biggest by far by population that is now unstoppably moving to take retake its leading position in the world now we may not agree with their philosophy their take on life how they do things but that's okay. We're not China and China is not us. All right. But vilifying them, 
making them into some sort of monsters and doing this artificial thing where we are describing the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, as some sort of separate entity from the Chinese people, that's the dumbest of all approaches, because it's not. The Chinese Communist Party is wildly popular in China, and rightly so. The Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, has uh, taken China a very long way and made it now probably the most powerful force in the world, but definitely the second most powerful force in the world. And more importantly, as America is on a downward trajectory with its political stability and its uh, general force, China is on an upswing. More of that in the next segment. Fellow Americans, you've watched for decades as radical Marxists have systematically taken over some of our nation's most cherished institutions. Well, AmericaOutloud.com is fighting back with one of the fastest growing conservative media networks in the world, featuring some of the nation's most influential experts and commentators. Join us, we're in this together, and we consider you part of our family in our crusade to share the news commentary, and agenda that can lead America back again. It is a fight for the soul of humanity. America Out Loud Talk Radio is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Did you know the average person spends 26 years of their life sleeping? The real troubling statistic is that we spend seven years of our life trying to get to sleep, struggling with racing minds, tossing and turning. If you're one of the millions of Americans who need better quality sleep, the time to change is now. Sleep is proven to extend our lifespan, protect against terrible diseases like cancer, heart disease, and dementia, make us more attractive and thinner, feel calmer and happier, and boost energy levels, memory, and performance. Until now, most sleep supplements haven't worked, but a new easy-to-swallow sleep gel invented by the leading nutrition company Healthy Cell is designed to support all four stages of human sleep to help you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake up refreshed. It's called REM Sleep. To get a free two-night supply of REM sleep, visit HealthyCell.com sleep. That's Healthy, C-E-L-L dot com slash sleep. Welcome back to the show, my friends. So we started talking about China and the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party, and how I think that the uh, vilification that is uh, now taking place among especially uh, the Trump supporters, supporting crowd in America is utterly counterproductive. If you look at China, it's a country in which, uh, a country that has been always historically centrally governed by a vast bureaucracy, substantially a meritocratic, even though also nepotic bureaucracy. In other words, there is a system, they, they had, a, people don't know this, but uh, for I believe close to a millennium and a half, China had uh, a system of examinations to enter its government service and to advance within that government service that were held <clears throat> rain or shine every three years. 
And if you could get on that ladder and pass even the first exam and so on, you were set. Your life was set. You substantially had tenure, unless you somehow majorly screwed up. And so China had this kind of meritocratic system that uh, prevailed, I think, until the um, 1800s. And now it has something similar, substantially. So it's a country that's always been uh, ruled from the center, ruled by people who show that they're very smart and capable, uh, even though I'm sure that there is also, you know, people make place for their children and so on. So there is nepotism involved as well. It all, there always is, including majorly in America. And so China is uh, like that. Um, and now recently China has uh, decided that in order not to be, not to experience again the bitter fate that it experienced when it fell into the hands of Western powers after its long decline in the 19th century, uh, China decided that it has to substantially take the leadership role in the world. It's not something that is natural. It comes naturally to them because of their rather singular language and uh, writing style, which is difficult for uh, foreigners to learn, uh, unlike English, for example. But nevertheless, that's what they've decided that they have to do. And that's what they're doing. They, they certainly have the resources and the manpower to do it. Now, when we go through this exercise, and I should say exercise in futility, of separating the Chinese people who... So here's the kind of the right-wingy or American or Trumpian or I don't know how you call it philosophy. Chinese people are good, freedom-loving people. But the Chinese Communist Party is evil. And it's holding these good, freedom-loving Chinese people under its thumb against their will. Well, let me tell you something. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. Okay? What happened in Tiananmen Square in the 80s when that uh, uh, Chinese uh, kid stood in front of that tank and the tank went right through him and that kid disappeared somewhere, never to be seen again, that in China is celebrated as the, as the event that saved China. And it did. Because if you compare it to what happened in the Soviet Union, in the Soviet Union, the, uh, allegorically, let's say, that kid won. And what happened? The Soviet Union fell apart, and what remained of it is barely a memory in the form of the Russian Federation, which has about half the population and uh, less than half of the political influence and has enemy forces, you know, within a couple hundred kilometers from its twin capitals of Moscow and St. Petersburg, or maybe up to 500 kilometers. Well, China went another way, a different way. In China, the little kid in the white shirt lost and the tanks won, which is why China today is contending for the world crown in influence, riches, and so on. Sometimes you have to make hard choices. You have to hold your ground, and the Chinese did. 
And you may say, but, 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 they don't have freedom, they don't have elections, they don't have, and so on. And, 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 and Oh, and by the way, they're murdering these Uyghurs. So all of a sudden, the Trump supporters who loved it when Trump tried to ban, substantially, Muslims from coming to America, now all of a sudden, they, they're loving these Uyghur Muslims, right? Well, yeah, that's not pretty what China is doing there. It's not pretty. Because China, Chinese are kind of racist. They prefer their own race, the Han. They don't love those Turkic minorities. And they especially don't love them because of their Muslim faith, which is a kind of a public religion, similar to Judaism and Christianity, where religion is not just something you practice at home, but religion is something that informs your political and geopolitical views. China and countries like Japan and countries in its orbit have never understood or liked that. For example, Japan had quite a significant population of Christians uh, when it was united under the Tokugawa shogun in, in the year 1600 because uh, for about 100 years by that time, there was a strong missionary effort there in Western Japan around Hiroshima by the Portuguese. So there were several hundreds of, th hundreds of thousands of Christian Japanese, including some samurai and some even daimyo, feudal landlords who were Christian. But Tokugawa, after he united Japan, Tokugawa Ieyasu, his name was, he decided that Christians were not good for Japan because they had this religion that instructed them not only in their private worship, which he didn't care about, one way or another, but it informed their worldview politically. And so he basically waged war against them. Of course, they lost because they were a minority and they, he exterminated, he, he either forcibly converted them or exterminated them. And China is doing something similar to the Uyghurs. Yes, and they're going to relocate them, exile them, exterminate them, get them married to Chinese women and dilute their gene pool, or Chinese men, and dilute their gene pool. They're going to do all of that, but the Uyghurs are going to disappear. It's just a fact of life. They're going to disappear, just like the Chinese Christians, I'm sorry, the Japanese Christians disappeared 400 years ago. So you can say, we don't like it, we don't love it, it's horrible. It's, it's what's going to happen. And the Chinese may have a point there because they have 1.4 billion people, in other words, 1,400 million. And then there is this troublemaking minority of, I'm not sure how many of them there are, but let's just say there's a few million. Well, the way the Chinese think about it, they're going to sacrifice the few million for the benefit of, you know, the, the, the over 1,000 million, over a billion. But they're trading, you know, human parts, you say, organs. I don't know, maybe. America has God only knows how many abortions per year. Where, you know, the, those, those uh, fetuses, those dead babies are also traded. So we have a very high moral horse on, upon which to sit, don't we? The true... Oh, Chinese, um, how about... Uh, how about forced labor camps? You know, the, those slave, slaves who make Nike shoes. Well, let me tell you something. 
those slaves who make Nike shoes are better off than their parents and grandparents. Far better off. Okay. And I don't know that they would want to go elsewhere because they have, that's called a job. And one dollar a day or however much it is, is better in China than what, than zero dollars a day. And is perhaps equivalent in its buying power to minimum wage in America. So, you know, this vilification is useless. And also, even, even more useless, is the separation of the CCP from the Chinese people. The CCP is extremely popular in China because it, it is working to China's benefit. It is making the majority of Chinese richer. It is enhancing and expanding China's influence in the world at the expense of America primarily, which is making, again, the Chinese people feel prouder of their country, more powerful and uh, richer again. You know, Americans in the 1950s when they went abroad, like in that movie American in Paris with Gene Kelly, it must have been quite something. Hey, I wasn't obviously born then, born then and also I'm not an American, but it must have been quite something to travel abroad in the 50s as an American to Europe, for example, because you were the king of the universe. You had all the good stuff. You had the jeans, the, 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 the chewing gum, the rock and roll, the, the, the most powerful military. Everybody looked up at you or looked up to you. Well, that's not true now, is it? But I think Chinese are experiencing that now when they travel around the world because all the momentum is behind them. All the momentum is behind them. And... That's because of the CCP. So it's doing a good job for China. And Americans are whining and whining. Oh my God, China is penetrating our institutions and it's buying up all our you know, professors and politicians and you name it. Sure it is. Why the hell wouldn't it? I mean, if they're for sale, why wouldn't China buy them? Why wouldn't China pay a premium to top American scientists to sell their expertise? I mean, is it, it's okay for top Chinese, sorry, for top American companies to go and establish their manufacturing plants, Boeing, you name it, in, in China, because it's cheaper, even though they full well know, not illegally, legally, they must transfer their intellectual property to China. That's the condition. Of, of setting shop there and they do it and they comply well why wouldn't a prof some professor from harvard sell his know-how to the highest bidder which happens to be china and american politicians yes they're corrupt who votes who votes for them who gets them in there who keeps them in there there's elections every two years vote them out they never get voted out almost so yeah, sure, they sell themselves out. That's what politicians do. Politicians, it's their job to sell themselves out. I mean, they're substantially prostitutes. It's not, I'm, not, I'm far from the first to make that comment or that comparison. It's true. Well, what do prostitutes do? They prostitute themselves, and that's what American politicians are doing. 
And the highest bidder right now is China. It's not the Chinese fault. They're just taking advantage of, of something they should be taking advantage of. But let me tell you also something. In Germany, in Nazi Germany, the actual Nazi Germany, most Germans supported the Nazi party. And I'm not comparing the Nazi party to the CCP because the CCP is incomparably and immeasurably better. The Nazi party was truly evil. And it acted against Germany's interest, not for it, not for them. They destroyed Germany completely within 12 years. So it took power in 33. By 45, Germany was in, occupied and in ruins. Right? So it's very hard to claim that the Nazi party acted in Germany's interest. And yet most Germans supported it almost, almost to the bitter end. They bought into every kind of <coughs> um, BS that the Nazi, the Nazi party Hitler fed them, they bought into it. So it would have been an exercise in futility and completely wrong, you know, circa 1938 or 1942 even, or 43, to say, oh my God, you know, the Nazi people are oppressed by this insane lunatic fringe party. That wasn't the case. And it's certainly not the case in China today. Chinese people are who they are. They, they see themselves in aggregate, not necessarily as individuals. They have pride in their national achievements and their national achievements are nowadays extremely high. Their power in the world is increasing rapidly. As America is declining, they're claiming those turfs that America is giving up. Actual turfs like, you know, geography, but also virtual turfs like intellectual property. China is take China where America is stepping back, China is stepping forward. Under the leadership of the CCP. So that's so for uh, Americans to, you know, whine and complain and quetch about it is absolutely counterproductive. If you feel threatened by China, then do better. Let's all do better. Let's. How come in America it costs $200,000 to get an engineering degree? It's insane. America needs more engineers. In Israel, in Canada, in Europe, it's virtually free. Maybe you pay two, three grand a year, if that. To get an excellent engineering degree. Well, how, well, and China, same thing. Well, of course, America is going to, to, to make fewer engineers and America will need to import them under those H-1B visas if it's virtually impossible for an American family to afford to send their son or daughter to engineering school. So let's fix that. Let's make engineering education free in America because, Amer because that's what makes America strong. It's in every American's interest to have more engineers. Oh, but it's unfair? Why is it unfair? You go to engineering school, why can't you? Oh, because in high school you smoke dope? And instead of studying math, well, that's on you, my friend. Or if you're a parent, if you're telling your kid, instead of telling your kid you must do the, uh, the high 
level math, you're telling, you're telling him or her, why don't you do whatever you feel like? Well, you're a bad parent, my friend. And your child is going to have a, a tough life ahead of them. America had better be, get real and understand that the world today is not the world it, it was even 10, 20 years ago. It's a world in which America has given up so much ground that unless it wakes up and starts doing things much more seriously, it's going to enter a stage of decline that is going to be quite terminal and from which it will be impossible to recover. So to close out this show, I just want to say that every one of my listeners, seriously, be a serious person. Look at the world seriously through your own eyes. Don't listen to people who want to influence you and make you go astray because that's how you lose your freedom. Tune in next time. Choose to be free.